He's like, show me some of the stuff you've made. And so I showed him some of my most recent work at that time. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I'll let you know if we have anything. And maybe like a week later, he called me to say he needed some editing. I showed up and basically never left again. Welcome to There to Hear, an educational podcast where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and how they got from there to here. On today's show, Lucas Tanaka takes us inside the commercial world of NBC Sky Castle and how the workflow has carried on in the midst of change. As this is a new podcast, we're really wanting feedback, so go to media.collabinc.org, fill out the feedback survey, and you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. From Collab Inc., I'm Tanya Musgrave, and today we have Lucas Tanaka, producer and editor for NBC Universal Sky Castle. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. That was, that was a really nice intro. I like that. <laughs> Let's start with your background. How did you get from there to here? I guess the journey starts as a kid with like my parents' handy cam and just running around shooting stuff and falling in love with film. And I think over time, I, I always thought that film, television, anything with a camera was really just a hobby and not a real job. But actually, I think the moment that the beginning of this whole journey is actually with Tanya here. Funny enough, uh, we were working at Nasoka Pines summer camp (laughs) and we woke up early to do, I guess I was shooting video for like, uh, we were like, people were wakeboarding while the water was still glassy and smooth. It actually was the day that someone might've been you shot the video of Brad Walls, like jumping over me (gasps) on the wakeboards. Uh, I remember that. After the whole thing, we still had some time before breakfast and we're sitting there talking. You're like, you should check out film at Southern. And I was like, that's not a real job because I had I was going there, but I was uh, a business major and a theology major. You planted that seed in my head and I went to Smart Start and I was going through classes and I met Sir David George, who I believe has been on this podcast before. Yes, he Um, has. And I was like, hi, I want to do film. And he's like, oh, this is what you have to do. And I guess, as my mom tells me, I don't remember this. She says I called her and I was like, I switched my major to film and I'm not switching anymore. And that was it. (laughs) Uh, Before school even started, it was during like the summer class before uh, your official start of the freshman year. Yeah, dang. So how how was the progression from there to where you are now? It's crazy because the school you go to has a huge impact because you develop an alumni network, you develop friends that hopefully you'll work with for at least the beginning of your career and maybe the rest of your life. I mean, my internship, every job I've gotten, actually, I've never really done a proper interview process. I've never properly applied to a job. It has basically always been through, I know this person, we talked and it happened. So my first job, I called Ryan Moore who was working at One Degree Organic Foods at the time, making documentaries. And I was like, hey, man, do you guys got any internships? He was kind of just talking to me for a bit. And my neighbor happened to drive by and I speak Portuguese. So we started speaking in Portuguese. He's like, hey, do you speak Spanish? And I was like, I mean, I can. He's like, we've got a ton of stuff that we shot in Mexico and it's in Spanish and we could use an editor that can speak Spanish. And so I started interning there because of that. Eventually started working there and worked there for about three and a half years before I packed up and said it was time to go to LA. I packed up my big old diesel truck from Washington State, drove all the way down here with no job. And again, the alumni network, I was planning on staying with some of my alumni friends, but they're in the middle of shooting a feature and a bunch of people were over and it was too crowded. But yet another alumni who I was friends with, but honestly hadn't spent that much time hanging out with him before this, took me in to sleep on his couch. Alumni network is huge. I slept on his couch. I worked on that feature with those guys for a few days as a PA for the first day, which I feel like everybody deserves at least one day as a PA. One of the main actors 
I, I don't know how to like properly progress the story, but I feel like this is really important because whenever we gather around with uh, other film people, everybody's like, the one time I was a PA or back when I was a PA, everybody tells their story. I guess, I don't know if he was the lead actor, but he's one of the actors. He's like maybe like 18, 19, he was a younger kid. And it was a cheap film shoot, like it was a small shoot. And so there's mm -hmm. one bathroom in the crafty room and I guess he clogged the toilet. And me as like the PA there was just like, let me help this guy out. I don't want him to be embarrassed. And it became this whole ordeal. It was super hot. It was terrible. I basically tried to like chop up his poop to help it go down and couldn't get it to go down. Brought in David Tilstra, who was also working on the film and he couldn't figure out. And finally, one of the other producers came in and like took care of us somehow. But it was a terrible ordeal. But that's, I think, an important part of character building and working in film is your your days as a PA. Some of them are more glamorous than others. Some of them involve that. So out of that experience came... Out of that experience came me definitely not wanting to do that. I, I second AC for a couple of days. And then finally, our good friend Dawson, who was freelancing at the time at Sky Castle, the place I currently work at, was like, hey, man, you want to grab lunch? So I just got in the town. We grabbed lunch. There, I met Senior Thomas Huntworth, mm -hmm. who I also believe was here. And yes. he um, he was like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you." I was like, "Oh, we met in class one time." He's like, "Cool, I don't remember you. You're not cool." No, I'm just kidding. He was <laughs> he was like, "Oh, cool." He came and spoke at my class at one point. Uh, he's like, "Show me some of the stuff you've made." And so I showed him some of my most recent work at that time. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, that's cool. I'll let you know if we have anything." And maybe like a week later or less. He called me to say he needed some editing. I showed up and basically never left again. Yeah. So I freelanced for like three days. I think I didn't work for maybe like a couple of days. And then he's like, hey, can you come in Friday and for the rest of October? <laughs> and from there, I actually never left again. It went from freelancing to what they called. It was basically like I was a full-time production staff, but not a full-time NBC staff. It was... Okay. And you could only do it for two years. And so I did that. And then more recently, I finally committed to actually being here for the extended term, which I guess now I've been here for almost three years. Oh, wow. So, all right. So you've been on both sides of the whole freelance and then full-time gig. I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that the full-time gig is is where it's at, where you, where you want to kind of settle in. Uh, no. Oh. Don't I mean, I, I guess this is like a dangerous place to talk about what's in your heart. I don't wanna I don't wanna like like put you in any place that's like <laughs> gonna make you feel uncomfortable. But I was just basically wanting you to compare and contrast the uh the the freelance full time and kind of like where you're wanting to head. The the full time has its benefits. You know, working at at NBC literally. <laughs> Yeah, literally, you yeah. get, you know, your health benefits. You get a 401k matching, which when you're thinking about your long-term future as a freelancer, you can only do so much to put into your retirement account. But if they're matching, you know, six to seven percent, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot that's of money. That's really good. Yeah, that's a that's a six good bit seven? of money. It, it starts helping you build that nest egg as mm. or that like retirement nest egg. Mm. And beyond that, there's things like, you know, the Comcast stock buying option. You can buy stock at a lower rate. And so over time, there's a lot of opportunities to build long-term wealth or security in a structured way. However, I do think that freelancing, while a lot less structured, 
has a bigger potential overall, but mm. also has a bigger potential for times like these during COVID where there's almost no work for freelancers or it's very complicated to get work for freelancers. I remember at one point you were wanting to kind of get involved in the sports world. Is that kind of something along the lines of what you're wanting to still aim for? Or <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would if the right opportunity arose. I think for me, you know, at our at our group, we make commercials and or Skycastle specifically makes commercials. But we're also part of a bigger group that includes LX TV, which does lifestyle TV shows. And now another group called LX News that does news aimed at a younger audience. Mm -hmm. And I, I would like to switch from working from the stuff people fast forward through. Mm. Um, to working on the content that people come to watch. And I think it's, while you can create really exciting commercials, and I, I do enjoy it, I think there is an art and a joy to creating commercials. I want to tell narrative stories or documentaries. I want to tell stories that people come for. I don't want to tell the stories that people really don't want to watch, but if you do it really good, maybe they will pay attention mm. kind of deal. And it's, it's still fun. You're telling 30-second stories mm -hmm. that someone is paying you to and you have to include their product. Yeah. <laughs> that, that uh that has a varying range of how crazy or how fun it can be and as a producer i guess the joy or the art or the fun in it is solving all the problems that come with that mm -hmm. and if you enjoy problem solving which i do i i do enjoy producing our bigger scale commercials it's still really fun i think i would like to see a little bit more satisfaction with the final product whether it's in sports, in news or wherever, where I feel like I created something that people want to share and people want to watch. You know, I, I am a huge believer that there is a way to create beautiful stuff and things that you're proud of in the commercial world. And I don't want to be like a downer about it. But in, in the world where we are, which is broadcast commercials, basically people buy airtime. We only work with people who buy airtime on our network. We're not just a creative agency for anybody. If you mm -hmm. don't buy airtime on our on one of our networks or something of that nature, we're not producing commercials for you. In that sense, it, it comes with a very specific clientele. And even then, it's it's rare where you get the opportunity to do something really, really exciting. It's maybe a few a year. Mm -hmm. And sadly, this year, speaking of sports, we were supposed to be doing something around this time with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green at the new Chase Center. Mm. Uh, a little Mercedes Warriors commercial. I'm not supposed to, maybe I'm not supposed to say that, but I'm still going to say it anyways. Like <laughs> nobody's coming after me for telling people what we were supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the whole COVID thing, it's shut down a lot of our exciting commercials. And mm. one thing about working, you know, we're in a big company, but we're really a small group. And one of the things that this group has allowed me to do is to continue to develop other aspects of my work. So while I can't produce more commercials at once, I can start diving more into being a DP. With smaller budgets, sometimes it works. As a producer, you have a bunch of puzzle pieces and you can figure out what's the best place to put the money. Mm -hmm. And if I'm able to DP something, we're able to make something at a higher level because I'm part of the company. I'm not an additional outside hire. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, I've DP'd a couple commercials over the past year, and this was supposed to be my exciting super duper exciting joy commercial where it's like the possibilities are endless you got like star talent you've got an awesome location you've got cool stuff with cars that they're like you can drive it around the chase center and it was like what we're gonna do yeah, all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff i just realized like the other day that that was supposed to be happening right now and i got really sad <laughs> 
that was going to be an opportunity where we were getting really creative, starting really ahead of time and talking about fun and exciting ideas. And, so, and I mean, the opportunities will come back again. It's not like COVID happened and we'll never get another version of that. But I think there's also a blend of enjoying what you have because I guess we've been in this for like five, six months. So mm. it's been a while since yeah. Uh, yeah, we've shot true. any major production or anything big. But I think one of the last productions that I was super excited about was maybe September, October last year. And it wasn't even like the craziest thing once you watch it. It's literally just for a food company. It's a host and someone from the company and they're making little recipes and talking to each other. But for me, I was DPing it and I was like, hmm, I'm the DP. I also choose where the money goes. And so I rented a, <laughs> a telescoping arm with a remote head and you get like a tech guy and it ended up being a lot more expensive than I meant it to be, but it was okay. And so we had two cameras. We had, we had like a camera on a dolly up front, just like going back and forth on a track to keep the motion exciting. And then we had my camera, which was super fun because it was basically, it was me just like in a little headset, which for me was new. It's me the AC who's got these rolling wheels and like we're like whispering through the headsets and you've got the guy pulling focus you got the AC pulling focus and then you've got the like the telescoping arm operator and it just became like it's like a fun little thing you're like talking to each other and you're looking at there's like a million monitors and you're just like okay yeah go over there and you know I like to make my kinds of jokes and it was just it was it was a fun time and it was making the best of of a commercial that I don't think people would be like, wow, that's really exciting. You're shooting people make food. But I found a really awesome space that had a built-in kitchen, everything you needed to shoot an amazing food spot. Mm. And we had a great time with the cameras and everything. And I think it was an example of finding the joy in the work and the things that you have. And it's finding the joy in the process Mm. and enjoying actually just shooting it and not just like, wow, that video was so cool, but remembering what it took to make it. Because really you're going to watch something for 30 seconds or a minute, maybe depending what you're making uh, in the commercial world. But the process of actually making it is at least the shooting day is a long day with a millions, millions of problems that Mm. you're always dealing with. No matter how much you prepare, there's always something that goes wrong. And to me, that's the entertaining part. I, I think I've come most alive on days that we're actually shooting and doing things. So my question is, <laughs> what does your day-to-day look like now? What is your job shifted into? Day-to-day, basically, we have like a morning meeting every day with our little group. Then we have like bigger meetings scheduled throughout the thing. There's always like little meetings here and there. So like NBC Universal things or like our division and people are always like, we're going to make it through this. It's going to be okay. Or you know what? We're going to be in this for another six months or whatever it is. There's always updates. But my actual day-to-day really just it's sitting in front of a computer and finding ways to be creative without having to shoot much. Mm. We know we've done a lot of stuff with stock footage. There's Mm. people who produce First Look, Open House, and George to the Rescue, which are lifestyle shows that uh, air on NBC throughout the day. But recently, one way we've gotten creative with working from home is uh, one of the other producers was doing a project for Avocados for Peru. And they, the people were like, hey, we don't really want to do a cell phone thing. There's been a lot of like Zoom call type commercials or like shoot on your cell phone type commercials because you got to hire talent. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a way that us and our extended family from these other shows all got a bunch of avocados and different things and shot a couple scenes themselves on because we each have our own like camera kit so we can shoot things at a high quality. 
And they took that and pieced it together to make a high quality commercial without actually going anywhere and shooting. People hmm. shot their kids if they wanted to. They shot their significant others or their pets or whatever and pieced together a nice 30 second piece that uh, I mean, I think they were very happy with. Wait, so they, have you guys gone back to production at all in any kind of capacity? In small ways, I guess on Monday, I went to the LA Chargers training camp and shot some B-roll of what was going on. I think recently someone went and did kind of like a one-on-one shoot. There was just one person and them. I think on the East Coast, they've been a little more active when there was for the LX News Group. I forgot. Yeah, we have that too. But during the LX News Group, they, they've been more active capturing news, you know, mm-hmm. things that are happening live. How how's the COVID compliance on that? If you're working with people, you got to wear masks. You got to be consistently sanitizing equipment if you're passing it around. In general, with our group, we all have our own kits and we try not to share gear, basically. Mm-hmm. So that way, in case anything uh, happens, you're not. It lowers the potential for spread. We also received our own COVID kits in a sense, where we got hand sanitizer, we got a variety of disposable masks, but also the KN95 mask Mm -hmm. or whatever that thing's called, you know, gloves and thermometers and all the kinds of things to, you know, check your temperature before you go out and to make sure that you're not a potential hazard. I personally have not been on a shoot with anyone else at this point. The one shoot I was supposed to go with someone, nobody was, or the person wasn't able to make it But in general, we would just be in different places, stay as far apart as you would with any other person and minimize the sharing of gear. And if you do, you just plan ahead. I think it's basically just plan better. So do you end up editing the shoots that you help shoot or or that they shoot? Because you're you're producer editor. So have you... Do you see one project all the way through or is it like I'm helping get this project up running and I'm editing a different project? The way it works is my manager would assign a project to a producer. So basically, the the producer aspect of our job is that we're project managers. For example, that my other producer coworker was doing the avocados for Peru, while maybe I'm doing something for BMW or for Mazda mm-hmm. or something of that nature. And while we help each other on our projects, we each own a specific project. For example, the shoot I did that was for the food company, I saw that all the way through from the beginning, all the way through the final edit, the final color, and sending it out to the stations to air. But for other projects like the LA Charger shoot, I just shoot it, I package the footage and send it off to whoever needs it. So it's a little bit of a mix. Everybody takes ownership of specific projects, but we all support each other on our own projects. So Mm -hmm. some days you're editing everything, some days you're not. If something happens and they need something really quickly, I might step in and help edit someone else's project or vice versa. I heard you were um, working in Resolve these days. How's that going? Resolve is life. Adobe (laughs) is literally the worst thing that has ever happened to mankind. (laughs) Resolve is literally the greatest place on the planet. It, It does everything you want. Plus, you can do beautiful, beautiful color without having to round trip it let me export this do you have the right files did you give me enough handles is this okay you can just do everything in one i've had three people editing while i colored all their projects at once because it was like a shoot that needed to go out really quickly it was multiple segments shot in the same place and so everybody was editing a segment while i was developing color for each of them and then applying it across the board at the same exact time in the same project file so resolve has phenomenal possibilities things that adobe tried to implement but never worked correctly and we were working on getting it to work from New York to LA and it worked with a little bit of a lag for whoever wasn't the host city. Mm. So 
at Black Magic is so open. Like they talked to us, they worked with us to try to develop this thing. And in addition, the Black Magic cameras, while I think for a while there had a stigma, it's it's kind of unbeatable for the price. Sure, we'll we'll use our RE cameras for anything we're really excited about. But at the same time, it's I mean, look, if I show you some Black Magic footage next to RE footage, most people almost almost nobody would be able to tell the difference. Of course. Especially the people who are meant to actually watch it. They'll be like, uh-huh, nice. This all <laughs> nobody, looks great. Nobody computes that no. kind of, like, to that depth when they're watching really anything. I mean, like, except for except for filmmakers, obviously. But, you know, for the intended audience, <laughs> the I feel like you're pretty I, safe. I bet I put a bunch of RE and Blackmagic footage side by side. And people who claim that Blackmagic is awful would not have known that it was Blackmagic footage. It is <laughs> excellent. It's yeah. very good. Sure, there's certain issues with the camera eventually, but at this point, they're pretty reliable. It's not like when they first came out. It's I cannot imagine if I had $20,000 to spend on a camera package that I would buy anything other than a Blackmagic camera. Interesting. Interesting. I think I, okay. So the, the documentary that I was a part of, it was, I don't know, I would say six years ago now. So I remember us running into issues in, with with the the black magic camera being a little bit too much like the the codec would fall apart a little bit more easily on the so <laughs> on the lower end <laughs> that's that's one of the great developments of black magic is black magic raw which actually plays back smoother than pretty much anything else i i would dare to say it plays back smoother than prores nice and gives you all of the raw functionalities that you're looking for okay. if you're getting techie technically it's not a true true raw but you can change iso you can change white balance and everything like you would a regular raw file the dynamic range is phenomenal it is infinitely times better than everything you were doing everything i was doing on my canon c300 mark ii which i paid su substantially more for yeah. than okay. uh, black magic camera which i have since sold because <laughs> i only need black magic at this point the codec works great now it's excellent if you want to shoot prores you can also shoot prores natively so no yeah. problem and they just launched a 12k ursa which if you're looking to do special effects or whatever like if you if you wanted to buy a red cam i don't know why you're buying a red cam you can just get a 12k ursa it's pretty impressive. I, I understand why you would buy an RE camera, mm. but at that point, you have such unlimited budget that you're picking your camera based on, I want a very specific look. I want it to feel like this. Yeah. But yeah. if you're just shooting stuff for high quality to look good and you're shooting stuff for commercials, in general, it's going to be pretty hard to be a Blackmagic camera for budget. I do remember being extremely more impressed with it in like the last few years uh, when we actually had dealings with it as opposed to when we had to shoot a project, you know, the six years ago on like, <laughs> you know, like the big old square box that they had. Oh yeah, those like... were terrible, but they were a part of the development. You needed to have that. Um, yeah, I would not shoot anything on those things. Those things were <laughs> low-key trash. <laughs> they, they got you a beautiful image, but it wasn't a real production camera at that point. Like... The issues that you had were just, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but now yeah, they yeah. work. But yeah, I mean, and the same thing with working with Resolve too. I, and I only dipped into it just briefly, but I remember editing a project on it. Like actually editing a project, I'm just like, whoa, like they have a whole timeline and everything. And I was just like, why would you use something else other than, I actually don't know, but I know that I was very impressed with the editing capabilities and I didn't find myself needing to go to the other program. 
Except for out of pure familiarity. Yeah, because that's just how it always is. You're used to a program. It's weird to jump into something else at first. But as you get used to it, it's like, whoa, what, <laughs> what was I doing before? Why? I mean, it has Fusion, which is a very powerful like effects or graphics, I guess, tab you would call it, but it's an entire software, which you can do 3D things. You can do... It's a, it's, it's a little bit to get used to, especially if you're coming from After Effects, but it can do basically everything that most people are looking for. And if you're a new filmmaker and you're just looking, what's the best cheap software? Uh, DaVinci is free. Like yeah. you, you, it's, it's impossible to beat. And I, I, I believe in the future of black magic, because if you're a young filmmaker right now, buy yourself a pocket, get the full suite with it, the full uh, DaVinci suite, and you'll get to practice everything that professional filmmakers use 24 seven. In fact, professional filmmakers are using pockets all the time as part of their workflow. Maybe not as their A cam, but as crash cams, as B cams, as cameras for awkward placements or as camera uh, or car cameras. It has all the same functionalities. You'll be ready to shoot with any camera at that point. Nice. Anybody can learn menus. I hate when people are like, but do you know how to operate a Sony? Dude, it's a <laughs> camera. Like if I, we, we know how to use cameras. What is it's going to take me 10 more seconds to find it on the menu? I can Google. I have a phone. I can Google these things. I'm sorry, but do you know how to use a red epic or whatever the reds are? The red dragon? Um, yes, I, I can turn it on. Anyways, black magic for life. So, okay, when you're talking about the future of things in the actual landscape of your industry, what are you seeing on the horizon? You know, one thing that's in the horizon, I guess, for us is adapting to the new world. You know, being part of a big, older company like Comcast or NBC Universal, who's been around for, I think, 100 years or mm. something of that nature, it's it's got an old school mindset. And right before COVID, like working from home was like, there's no way that's possible. But we've adapted. And I think for us, the future is finding ways to work more efficiently for less money because it costs money to have people in an office. It costs money to do all kinds of things that people don't think about that come with commuting to an office, having an office space, having safety and different things for employees. And the less people you have in the office, the cheaper things are. And I think that the future really, as sad to say, is that people are going to find creative ways to cut costs. And I think because of COVID, we found creative ways that I think employees will be happy with. Mm. Uh, hopefully, don't quote me on that, but hopefully. So here's here's a here's a question for all the newbies who are coming up. What's the best place for them to position themselves in order to be able to have one of those jobs? Where where should they aim? It depends what you want. If you want to be a director of photography, just be a director of photography, focus on camera. Don't do, I mean, do other things, but if you need to, because you need to feed yourself, but focus on that. If you want to be in this specific position, I, I, I'm having a hard time saying anything because I've never actually, I don't know what it actually took besides being really versatile, uh, mm -hmm. knowing how to do a lot of different things and really just making quality connections. I think as a young filmmaker, I think the best thing you can do right now is continuously create work with your friends, make new friends who are creatives. It's building the network and practice your craft. I think that is the most important thing to do. And I say that basically completely hypocritical because at this point I am not practicing my craft outside of my actual job, even though I, I'm trying to. And my networking has slowed down a little bit, although I do have a call right after this that is specifically, I guess, re-networking in a sense of like reconnecting with people. 
Have you seen specific roles kind of floating to the top as in, oh, yeah, we need you and you and you, but even though we had a use for you and you and you, we don't really anymore. Who is the you and you and you that we don't really have a use for anymore? The thing that people are looking for often for these jobs are someone who can do everything. It's basically a project manager who can edit. The unpopular term for it that I think we've stopped saying was predator, which is the producer editor. <laughs> There's a lot of those jobs. And I think anybody that's like, we want to do video stuff, they hired those kinds of people. But mm -hmm. that also kind of pigeonholes you or makes you stuck because if you want to reach a high level, the path to, I think, to bigger opportunities and to growth doesn't come from being a jack of all trades. It doesn't come from being a producer editor. You might. There's a chance that you're going to grow into more of that, but that's going to be really circumstantial. I think that if you're looking to make to find a good job that you can live a good life with and be happy, I think, yeah, sure, a producer editor will work. Make sure you're a good project manager. Make sure you can edit. And that's probably your top two things. And just be really, just don't be weird, to be honest. Like a lot of it comes to, it's a very personality-based thing. You've got to know how to talk to people, work with people, listen to people, know how people operate, know how people respond, because you're going to be doing a lot of negotiating, a lot of working with clients who are awful or clients who are awesome. It's, it's a mix of everything. Clients who try to sabotage their own projects. So a lot of it is just knowing how to work with people. That's actually a really good segue into some of our listener questions. So we have some questions from our Insta and Facebook stories and Twitter. If you want to ask your questions to future guests, our handle on Insta and Twitter is Collab Inc. Podcast. How do you work with your different clients? So working with different clients, it, it, can be, it can be all kinds of things. So the way we first greet clients, basically, before I even talk to them, there's a salesperson that's been buttering them up for a while. There's a marketing person that's, you know, trying to balance the buttering them up with realities. And then there's, I guess, my boss who is in meetings and trying to figure out who should I assign this project to? And mm -hmm. so before that, there's already three people who are or more than that who are talking to them. And then you start talking to them. They're like, hi, guys, welcome. Meet Lucas. He's your new point of contact for everything. And so you're like, cool. Now, Sometimes it's really smooth and it's just you and that person, you guys send emails, you're seeing everybody, so everybody's up to date on what's happening and it's great. Sometimes they, not to knock on my salespeople because I love them all, but sometimes they like you, you get self-sabotaged by your own people because they'll start promising things that you can't do and then it's like, whoa, and it's this whole balance of we're all working together, but everybody's got a job to do and it might, the way they do their job or the way that's best for their job might not be the best for my job. Mm. And in the end, my thought process is we want to make the customer or the client as happy as possible, which I think part of it is providing them with a really high quality piece of material that they're proud mm. to share and that they're mm -hmm. proud that they did and a good experience so that they come back and spend more money with us so I can have a job. I'm going to flip it on its head with this other question that we have. It says, what series of checkpoints do you use to get a project through the gauntlet to final approval? I'm just wrapping up a series of videos that was challenging in that the client brought in their millionaire big boss halfway through a project and changed the goals of the project midstream. Does this kind of thing ever happen to you? And how do you strike a balance between being accommodating and holding the line on what was agreed? Ooh, it happens all the time. People change their minds halfway through. It's a huge pain. And that's kind of the joy of working on these things. It's like, wow, we agreed on these things. And today you want to change everything. That's cool. Thanks for wasting three years of my life. No, um, I mean, it's a fine balance of trying to steer the clients into something that makes sense for the project. If you have the time, I think it's different when you're a freelancer because 
if you spend three extra weeks working on this, this is your time. And if they're not paying you any extra, then you're just losing money. Mm-hmm. In my scenario, while we all still try, we have an air date or things like that, at that point, it doesn't become my problem. It's my my job is to make sure that they get what they need and what they want. And if they need to change the air dates, the salespeople, the marketing people, everybody starts negotiating with everything that's going on with that. So if it has to go later, it has to go later. You'll know what's best for your for the project, but you also need to listen to the customers and know what they're ultimately looking for, even if they don't know it themselves. And you have to find a way to balance the two to make them feel like they're getting what they want, but also trying your best not to start from point uh, from square one. And if you are a freelancer that's getting paid by the hour, basically, you have to make sure that you let them know that this is going to cost more. If you guys want to change the thing, this is in a nice way. Be like, it's your fault that we spent two weeks of my work time doing something that you didn't want. You should have brought your big boss from the beginning. But of course, find a nice way to say that. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, is there something that can be put into the contract that will assure that that is... So I don't do contracts per se because we have a legal team. We have other people who do these types of scenarios. But to an extent, yes, you try to cover your base as much as possible for the beginning. And for me, that means checking in with like the VP of our group and or legal and different people. So for someone like in my position, I check with the people who I report to or who the people that I report to report to. So then they can make that decision. And Mm -hmm. if something goes wrong, it's not on me, it's on them. And that's in a sense, the beauty of not being the top person at a place is that you say, hey, this is what's come up. This is my suggestion. What do you guys think? And you let them make a decision. Mm-hmm. which sounds like pass it off to somebody else, but I mean, it kind of is. Well, I mean, essentially, too, a lot of those people aren't the ones that are emotionally invested in a project, and so it's easier for yes. them. I mean, I was talking to an agent who loved being that person because, you know, like for actors or for crew who really needed a buck but didn't want to submit themselves to awful terms, they yeah. didn't want to waver and, you know, lose face. They just sent them to their agent. And then their agent was saying, these are the terms, take it or leave it. And my client is not going to waver on this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So it was dealing with the agent. So essentially it's along the same lines of what you're doing. Yeah. Passing it to somebody who is not emotionally involved, who can coldly or straightforwardly say, this is it. Or if you want something else, this is what it's going to cost. Exactly. Exactly. Next question is, what is the Sky Castle commercial workflow versus what another company might do? So how, how does your, your company work uniquely? I guess to be perfectly honest, I don't know what a lot of, I don't know exactly what other people are doing, but basically a salesperson sells airtime. Sometimes it's kind of a pain that it goes like that because they, they pitch to a, a consumer and may promise them certain things that may not be as easy to achieve. Mm-hmm. But that's also the beauty of the work is like, they said we can do this for this much. Okay, we'll figure it out. And then basically marketing, sales, and then my boss, they're all setting things up and eventually gets to me and they're like, hi, I've got this client who sells rice and they would love to do a commercial, but they also want to do three three-minute documentaries in Spanish and in English. And they want 30s, one minutes, 15s, and sixes for social. So we're going to start talking about creative. And then we work with our full group, with our creative director and things to balance the a really cool creative idea with you as the producer being like, mm, I don't think we got money for that. Or mm, that might be impossible. And it's a collaborative workflow with like with the creative people and you and whoever else is together to find 
the idea that fits within the budget and that we can execute at a high level. And I think the producer's job is knowing exactly what we can do and knowing how to make that uh, that dream come true and knowing what we have, the talent that we have and the people that we can hire at that price range to put that thing together. So it comes sales, we go to our creative team, we create something. I create a timeline basically that says, we're gonna be talking about this. They're gonna, all kinds of pre-production approvals uh, until there's the final date. Then we've got our shoot date or dates, depending on what it is. And then after that, there's the post-production approval like timeline that's like, you're gonna get first cut here, second cut here. This is your final date to approve, especially if they have a traffic date that it goes on air. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything's subject to change. That's what mm-hmm. we say. There's literally a line on our timelines that we send out that says, this is subject to change, pending life events. I don't know what the exact <laughs> words are. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Last listener question. How do you choose your crew? My best friends. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it definitely starts there. It starts with who you know people that you know have done a good job and to be honest people have done a bad job and we've never hired them again Mm. they might be like last second desperate but it's who fits within the budget and who you know is there some kind of like company shortlist or there or is it just literally anybody that you know that would fit the bill start you know we we started putting together a company shortlist in a way and i think we do reach out to it but there's like okay we've got a certain set of dps that we always hit up there's a certain set of cam ops or ACs. We've got our favorite sound guy. And then when our favorite sound guy isn't available, he recommends us a new sound guy and we get that guy. And that guy kind of comes into the rotation. It's really, it's very strongly people we've worked with and who are very dependable continue to get the same gigs from us. That's, mm-hmm. if you're a freelancer, be very friendly, do a great job, don't be late, don't slack. And if there's an issue, like if something happens, it happens, you know, but be honest. And honestly, just don't be weird because half the time, that's like my time to hang out with people I like. And we have a great time shooting, even if it's we shoot Ashley Homestore, which is a furniture commercial. And it's not exciting. We like roll around with a dolly, but I hire the people I like to hang out with and it makes it a good time. Last question. What question should I have asked you? I think the reality of any creative in this world right now is that there are the things that we do that is how we succeed professionally and the things that we wish we did professionally. I think the thing that would give me hope and hopefully other creators hope is not just the day-to-day. I get that my day-to-day is what actually allows me to have a place to live, to eat, to you know buy the things I need. But the things that we really aspire to do aren't always the things that we do for money specifically at this point or the things we're trying to do. And I think maybe the question that I wish we would have asked is more, what are you doing outside of your day-to-day job that is still in the same, you know, in the film world or in the entertainment world that is something that you're working towards to grow? And mm-hmm. how are you doing that? Because I need to be held accountable for the things I'm not doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And like, honestly, I'd be curious to know your answer. Like right now? Yeah. Oh, I think I can say all this stuff. Who knows? Probably. Probably not going to jail for this or get fired. <laughs> so I have a producing partner slash good friend who I met in church. Um, I met in church in Vancouver when I used to work at One Degree. Mm. He moved to LA a little before me and I moved down to LA and he is an actor first, but we've been trying to produce things and we've produced a short pilot and, you know, it hasn't gone anywhere. We're trying our best to sell it, but it's, you know, still invisible at this point. 
-hmm. But we're always working on different projects and trying to find ways to create something new. And right now we're actually working on a podcast. So this is great practice where I'm actually just a producer. That's all I do. I schedule guests. I, you know, do research and try to plan out how this whole project will look like. And he is the host using his newfound connections as a successful actor. Mm -hmm. He is playing Muhammad Ali in the new Regina King film, One Night in Miami, which has given him a lot of, quote, clout. And for the young kids, he is in Riverdale. He is in, he was in Ballers for a bit for one season. He was in a show called Pearson, which was a spinoff uh, for Suits. I guess part of what I keep stressing the whole network thing is we work together to leverage our networks and our different skill sets to be able to try to build something of our own. But we're, we're working on a podcast that, one, hopefully allows us to continue networking, but also creates, it's just another way to be creative. Mm -hmm. I think that as a producer, it's not just about film. It's not just about television. Your skill set goes further than the things that you've been used to doing. You are a project manager. You know how to put groups together. You know how to put teams together. And you can apply that skill set all over the place. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. And of course, just like every single other person in the planet who likes film, always writing something, always trying to create something new and hopefully do something with it and not just be a bunch of files on my desktop and on my Google Drive for safety. What is your ultimate hope for that project? I mean, we want to inspire people. I guess the general idea of it is we're talking to successful people and how they got there and how they give back with their newfound platform. I, I want to hopefully inspire people to be like, wow, you know, I can work hard. This is how I can be successful. Hmm. And also when I am successful, I want to give back. It's not just now I'm rich. I moved to my island. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> I think the hope is that whatever is close to your heart, whether it's your church family or your group of friends or you care, whatever that mission is close to your heart, that you use your new skills. Even if your platform is small, it's still a platform. Even if your success is small. You still find a way to use that to help people. You know, as I was saying earlier, I want to create things that people come for. They come to view this. They come to listen to this. It's to create something that people are excited to listen to, mm -hmm. stories that people want to hear. Yeah. Um, so that's the primary goal. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Yeah. When can we expect to kind of see some seeds of that? It's tough because the people we're trying to interview are tough to schedule Let's go with October. I'm just making up <laughs> dates, but I, I'd like to say we'd have a couple recorded by October, but who knows? I also said we were going to do a lot of things by now. <laughs> I also told, you know, my parents I'd have a helicopter by now and I uh, <laughs> do not. My, par my apartment is 800 square feet. So, you know, uh, stepping stones. Well, either way, we really, really appreciate the time that you've taken to talk to us. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and check out more episodes at media.collabing.org. If you have comments or know someone who would be a great guest on our show, send in your suggestions to tanya at collabing.org. Lucas, thanks so much again for your time. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on There to Hear.